Talk about an exciting offer. Right now at Peter Vardy MG, the brand new MG ZX Excite comes with rear parking sensors, smartphone integration and Bluetooth connection for just £239 initial rental, then only £239 a month. That's right, just £239 a month for a brand new MG ZX Excite. Not only that, you'll also get up to seven years warranty. Visit Peter Vardy MG now to find out more. Peter Vardy! 48 months personal contract hire. Conditions apply. Life has ups and downs. If you're going through a difficult patch, you're not alone. Mind to Mind is a website where people who have felt stressed, anxious or low share their experiences to help others who are struggling. Hear how others are taking care of their mental well-being at nhsinform.scot forward slash mind to mind. From the prom to path head. This is K107 FM. And so we head into recess for a week with change in the cabinet at Holyrood. After months of posturing and amid piling pressure, Michael Matheson finally leaves government. But it wasn't just about watching a football match on a family holiday on a parliamentary iPad. It was about how it was handled. That became bigger than the original act. Secretary Michael Matheson resigns over expenses scandal. First Minister's close aide Neil Gray becomes the new Health Secretary. And the banter that backfired, Rishi Sunak's comments condemned. From Caledonia Media, I'm Charles Fletcher with Scotland's favourite political show, The Week in Hollywood. Mr Ross, you have put your questions. The First Minister is now responding. Let us do one another the courtesy... We may not always agree with what we are hearing, but we are simply not going to shout at one another, are we? First Minister. How dare Douglas Ross stand up in this Parliament, in this chamber, in this week of all weeks, and talk about standards in public life when his leader, the Prime Minister, quite literally gambled with the lives of the most vulnerable this week? Scotland's Health Secretary, Michael Matheson, has resigned. He'd been under growing pressure to go after racking up a bill of more than £11,000 in data roaming charges and claiming it back on parliamentary expenses. Michael Matheson paid back some of the costs incurred on an official iPad during a family holiday in Morocco. In an emotional statement after the initial... In an emotional statement after the initial story broke last year, he revealed his sons, unbeknown to him, had been watching a football match streamed online. The veteran minister quit his role as health secretary just ahead of an official report into the expenses claim on Thursday. He wrote to the first minister, Hamza Yusuf, saying he wanted to resign rather than be a distraction from the work of the government. His move came just moments before this week's session of questions to the First Minister in Holyrood. You join me as the story unfolds in a highly charged chamber. The three main party leaders preface their initial comments this week with reference to the death of Keith Rawlinson, a bus driver in Elgin, and the health of the King. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. 
Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Can I begin by sending my deepest condolences, and I'm sure those of the entire chamber, to the family of Keith Rowlandson, who tragically died following an assault at Elgin bus station last Friday. Keith died serving his community, and there is a huge amount of shock and anger across Murray. Keith was a loving husband and father, and our thoughts are with his family at this deeply tragic time, as well as his many friends and colleagues at Stagecoach. Can I also echo, uh, Presiding Officer, what you said earlier this week, following the King's announcement that he was receiving treatment for cancer. Uh, we wish His Majesty and the entire royal family all the very best for the King's full and speedy recovery. <laughs> Michael Matheson has finally resigned as Health Secretary, months after it emerged that he was dishonest and misled Parliament over an £11,000 iPad bill he charged to taxpayers. Hamza Youssef described Michael Matheson as a man of integrity and honesty. How much does he now regret those words? First Minister. Thank you, officer, can I also pay my condolences, as I did earlier this week, to the family of uh, Keith uh, Rawlinson. Uh, and I know that uh, his tragic killing has uh, undoubtedly not just impacted his family, but the local community. And I know, as somebody whose family uh, was previously bus drivers, that that community is actually extremely close uh, to each other. So all of the uh, bus driving community will be impacted and affected uh, by that tragic, uh, tragic killing. Um, can I also uh, echo what I said earlier this week? Uh, after His Majesty's openness about his recent prostate treatment, I, like many, uh, I'm sure was moved to hear uh, of, and uh, saddened to hear of his subsequent unrelated uh, cancer diagnosis. His Majesty's candour, uh, supporter of many cancer charities over the years, uh, is uh, admirable. Uh, diagnosis of cancer is a cause of great worry in any family, and I wish His Majesty a speedy and full recovery. Uh, he and the entire royal family are in my thoughts and prayers, and I'm sure the thoughts and prayers of everybody in this chamber. In relation uh, to Michael Matheson's question of substance Douglas Ross, uh, has asked. Uh, Michael Matheson, of course, uh, did make a mistake. Uh, he made that mistake and he apologised for that mistake. Uh, what he did ask for uh, was due process. And I think somebody who served this parliament, served his country, served in the government, not for years actually, he served in this parliament uh, for decades, that he should be afforded that uh, due process. Uh, that due process, as, it has, as it's coming to its conclusion, Michael has come uh, to the conclusion himself uh, that he should stand down and I've, I of course have accepted his resignation. I do think though that uh, the Conservatives talking about integrity in public life will be quite galling for those that are listening, presiding officer. Can I remind Douglas Ross that he of course called Boris, Jonas, Boris Johnson an honest man. That would be the Boris Johnson who lied about Partygate. That would be the Conservatives of course, who awarded multi-million pound contracts, PPE contracts, to their pals. So if there is one party in this chamber, presiding officer, that has no credibility in talking about integrity in public life, it is the Conservatives. Douglas Ross. As clear as day, not a bit of regret from the First Minister for claiming that Michael Matheson was a man of integrity and honesty. And he says 
the, the former Health Secretary came to this decision after the due process. He says in his own two-page letter that he's not received the findings of the review. However, he thinks it's in his own best interest and the best interest of the SNP government yeah. that he resigns. If he's so keen on due process, why not wait for the report uh, to be published? But let's be clear. Michael Matheson was dishonest about his £11,000 iPad bill. He made a false claim for thousands of pounds of taxpayers' money. He misled the public, the press and this parliament. He kept on being dishonest even as his story changed. He's resigned, but Hamza Youssef should have sacked him the minute, the minute it became clear that Michael Matheson had not told the truth. And again, in this lengthy letter from the former health secretary, there is not one word of apology to the people of Scotland for what he did and his dishonesty. And I hope the First Minister will stand up and apologise on his behalf. But can I ask Hamza Youssef, why did he continue to have this disgraced minister in his government for months after the situation first came to light? First, First Minister, before you begin, I will just remind the Chamber that the investigation process, a confidential process, is still ongoing. First Minister. Well, as I said, Michael Matheson, and as he reiterated in his letter, as the process is coming to a conclusion, uh, he has uh, offered his resignation. I have accepted uh, his resignation. Can I remind uh, Douglas Ross, when it comes to mistakes that are made, Douglas Ross, of course, forgot to declare tens of thousands of pounds of income that he, he of course, just simply forgot to do. So mistakes uh, can uh, happen, presiding officer. I don't think I was asking for Douglas Ross's resignation at that point, because we understand uh, mistakes absolutely uh, can happen. And Douglas Ross says that Michael Matheson did First not Minister, that First is Minister, can we please have quiet so that we can all hear questions and responses? First Minister. That, that, that is uh, incorrect. If Douglas Ross wants to look at the Mr. official records. First Minister. Douglas Ross may not want to listen to what I've got to say, but of course he can read over the official record in this chamber when Michael Matheson made a personal statement. He reiterated his apology uh, on numerous occasions for the mistake he had made. And he did make a mistake. I'm not suggesting he did not. All I'm suggesting is that, of course, a man who has served this parliament for many years, decades in fact, has worked diligently, worked hard in every role that he has been in, was afforded due process. He has been afforded that due process and come to the conclusion that he should stand down. In terms of what he has helped to achieve, of course, is he has helped to achieve a recovery of our NHS. That process, of course, ongoing. But under Michael Matheson, under this government, we are focused on the recovery of the NHS. And that includes, of course, record funding Briefly, for First our Minister. NHS. That includes record funding for our NHS, which is a very stark contrast to a Conservative government that is imposing real-term cuts on the NHS in England. Douglas Ross. Michael Matheson tried to cheat the taxpayer out of tens of thousands of pounds. He has been backed every step of the way by Hamza Youssef, and he's still been backed by the First Minister. Even when the Health Secretary's story changed, Hamza Youssef was still there defending him. He stood by him even when Michael Matheson had to cancel appearances at GP surgeries and stop doing his job to avoid scrutiny. He let him continue to be health secretary while Michael Matheson was distracted and was a distraction. The First Minister was just about the only person who still supported Michael Matheson. 
Hamza Youssef staked his own personal reputation on backing the former Health Secretary. So can he tell us, why was he willing to tolerate such dishonesty? First Minister. Let me uh, again uh, just remind uh, Douglas Ross what we have been focused on. Let's look at the facts and let's look at the recovery of the NHS. We have, of course, in Scotland, the best performing A&E departments in the entire UK. A real terms uplift for the NHS in Scotland while the Tories inflict a real terms cut to the NHS England, NHS England to the tune of over £1 billion. Record staffing in NHS Scotland under the SNP up by over 31,000. The best paid staff anywhere in the UK, NHS staff best paid in Scotland compared to the rest of the UK. Outpatients who have been waiting over two years have, see, have reduced by almost 70%. Inpatients who have been waiting over two years reduced by over 25%. They don't want to hear it, presiding officer, because it points First to an minister. NHS recovery. Can I remind all members of the atmosphere that we wish to have at this session? We want members to be able to put questions and to respond in an orderly manner, and we wish to be able to hear one another. And of course, uh, unlike where the Tories are in charge, Scotland hasn't lost a single day of NHS activity to strike action, yeah. including, of course, including, of course, the junior doctors deal that Michael Matheson concluded. So we're a government that takes great pride in supporting our NHS at, a at its time of greatest need, in very stark contrast to a Tory government that is gutting NHS England to the bones. Douglas Ross. Listening to that answer, it's like Hamza Youssef doesn't realise his disgraced former health secretary resigned this morning. It's incredible. But Hamza Youssef said the £11,000 claim was a legitimate parliamentary expense. The First Minister claimed months ago that the matter was closed. There was nothing more to see here. He told me in this chamber last year he had absolute and full confidence in Michael Matheson. He said Michael Matheson was a man of integrity and honesty. Hamza Youssef backed him to the hilt. But most of Scotland has known from the very beginning that Michael Matheson was dishonest. Hamza Youssef's own reputation is in tatters over the scandal. He looks weak. Now, trust in this government is gone. The SNP's credibility is gone. Michael Matheson is gone. But Hamza Youssef, the human shield, is still here defending him. First Minister, how can anyone trust a single word this SNP government ever says again? First Minister. Well, 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 presiding officer, Douglas Ross wants to talk about trust. Yeah. Did he not see the Ipsos podium all yesterday that showed that we, First the Minister. SNP, First is Minister. trusted? First Minister. We are simply not going to be conducting our business in this manner. I'd ask the front benches in particular to set the best of examples. First Minister. Well, they don't want to listen to the facts, presiding officer, and the facts show that the SNP still continues to be trusted by the people of Scotland over the NHS, over the economy, over transport, over health, and, 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 and compare it in stark contrast uh, to the Conservatives. How dare Douglas Ross stand here and talk about standards in public life in the week where his leader, the Prime Minister, First Minister. 
Mr Ross, you have put your questions. The First Minister is now responding. Let us do one another the courtesy. We may not always agree with what we are hearing, but we are simply not going to shout at one another, are we? First Minister. And how dare Douglas Ross stand up in this Parliament, in this chamber, in this week of all weeks, and talk about standards in public life when his leader, the Prime Minister, quite literally gambled with the lives of the most vulnerable this week. This week, just yesterday, quite literally decided to punch down on one of the most marginalised communities in the entire country. And not just on any day, of course, on the day that Brianna Gay's mother was in the House of Commons. That is a disgrace. That is shameful. So I'll certainly not be taking any lectures whatsoever from the Conservatives on standards and integrity in public life. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Thank you, President Officer. I'd like to join other colleagues in, first of all, paying our respects and passing on our condolences to the family of Keith Rawlinson. He was a much-loved member of his community, and I know from my own family in Elgin how deeply wounded and hurt the community of Elgin feels over this period. I'd also like to echo the comments in sending our thoughts and best wishes to King Charles and his loved ones, and we hope His Majesty makes a full and speedy recovery. Presenting officer, after months of Hamza Youssef battling to keep Michael Matheson in his job, today the Health Secretary has finally resigned. Now, that will make the headlines today, but the crisis in our NHS has been 17 years in the making. So Hamza Youssef may hope swapping one failing SNP minister for another is going to solve the problems, but it won't. So I want to ask about the real-life consequences of this government's failure. So while the government pretends there is no crisis, and they have it all under control, that is not the experience for patients across the country. For many, delays in accessing treatment can be fatal. So can the First Minister tell the Chamber how many people called an ambulance last year but died before they could reach an accident and emergency department? First Minister. Well, I don't have that figure in front of me. What I can say is, of course, as part of the winter funding that we announced, a significant chunk of that winter funding was to recruit additional staff for the Scottish Ambulance Service. I take real exception to Anna Sarwar's characterisation in his question that nobody in the government understands the real challenges the NHS is under. We do. In fact, uh, we, of course, uh, are the ones who brought forward uh, a recovery plan that's helping the NHS to recover. That's why we've seen, no, that's why we've seen Anna Sarwar uh, sing up. That's why we've seen, for example, a reduction on those outpatients who are waiting the longest two years or more uh, in terms of uh, uh, long waits. They, that has reduced by almost 70 in terms of inpatients, those are waiting over two years, reduction by over 25%. There's not a single person on the front benches uh, here who doesn't understand the significant challenge that the NHS is under. And that's why we're ensuring additional resources to the ambulance service. But also I'm happy in our, uh, to, to write to Anna Sarwar with the details of what we're doing to tackle far too long ambulance waiting times that are taking place across the country. Anna Sarwar. Also, that answer proves how much Hamza Youssef has his head in the sand. He talks about a recovery plan. Waiting lists have gone up since he published his recovery plan, and over 800,000 of our fellow Scots are on NHS waiting lists while he dithers around looking for a decent stat in his book. He needs to wake up to the reality facing far too many Scots. Now, 
the answer to the question I asked was there were over 12,000 people last year for whom an ambulance was called but who died before reaching the hospital. That is up from just over 7,100 in 2019, an increase of over 70% in just four years. Many of these people may have survived if an ambulance could have reached them sooner or they could have been admitted to hospital more quickly. That is the real-world consequence of SNP incompetence and a failure to get to grip with a crisis in our NHS. But here's another example. Back when Hamza Youssef was Health Secretary, the Government promised to contact all 150,000 women who were wrongly excluded from cervical screening by August 2021. More than two and a half years later, 65,000 women are still waiting to have their cases reviewed. They are still waiting to hear if they are at risk. Why has the Government failed these women? First Let me take a couple of the important issues that Anasawa uh, does raise. Of course, again, Anasawa does this when he uh, rightly, of course, interrogates the issues around the health service. He uh, talks about the last four years without, of course, paying any recognition that something quite significant happened in the last four years. There was a global pandemic, which was the biggest shock that the NHS has faced in its 75-year, five-year existence. That is why NHS services in Labour-run Wales, in Conservative-run England, and SNP-run Scotland are all facing really significant challenge because of that global pandemic. So Anasawa can't simply say, well, things have uh, uh, deteriorated in four years without, of course, giving any level of context uh, whatsoever. Anasawa says they should have got better. They should have got better in the midst of a global pandemic uh, is quite, uh, uh, quite something, presiding officer. In terms of the waiting lists and, uh, that, that we currently have, and there's no uh, suggestion from me uh, of anything other than having to focus in on reducing uh, those uh, waiting uh, times. Uh, if I look at, for example, the throughput, if I look at the operations uh, that have been performed in the last year, there was an 11 per cent increase in the number of performed operations compared to the previous 12 months, and a 15 per cent increase, over 15 per cent increase, if you went back 12 months before uh, that. And there are waiting times. No, no doubt there's too many people waiting uh, in uh, Scotland, and we're working to try to reduce that number uh, where we can. In terms of the women uh, in that may have been affected uh, by uh, the issues around uh, cervical cancer uh, screening, uh, it should be said, and I can give Anasawa more detail, uh, of course, uh, in writing, that, uh, of course, having done an initial audit, uh, NHS uh, boards uh, reached out to those women who were deemed to be most at risk and, of course, have written out, have taken the appropriate action uh, where uh, necessary. I'm more than happy to write to Anasawa uh, with further details, but I think suggesting uh, that they are at risk or, or, or at high risk uh, would be incorrect. So there has been a focus on the women that were impacted, uh, that clinicians believe were at the highest risk of cervical cancer. Anasawa. Yeah. Officer, I'm, I'm obviously gobsmacked by how outrageous the answer is from the First Minister there. He said there is no evidence that these women are at higher risk. I mean, it's why their cases are being reviewed. And actually, Three women have died whilst waiting for this review, and 65,000 women still haven't been processed in that review. I think he should seriously look at what's actually happening in the National Health Service he is presiding over. Because the reality is that these women and too many people who need an NHS are being failed by an incompetent SNP government. The result, any delays get worse, waiting lists grow, staff burn out, and patients' lives are put at risk. Now, this government would rather deny its incompetence than face up to the problem. 
their financial mismanagement is further risking frontline NHS services, and they would rather continue with a culture of secrecy than learn the lessons of their failures. So whoever this week First Minister chooses to be the next Health Secretary, isn't it the case that it's not just a change of a Health Secretary we need, it's a change from this failing, incompetent SNP government? First Minister. Uh, officer, uh, let me, uh, Anna Sawar uh, completely, of course, mischaracterised uh, what I said. I said the review of cervical exclusions, he knows, and I'm, and I'm happy to provide him with more detail on this if he doesn't, uh, had two parts to it. The initial review of 1,500 uh, records, which was completed in 2021, and then a much wider review of all exclusions from the programme that is very much uh, ongoing, and that's covering around 150,000 uh, individuals. I'm more than happy to provide uh, Anna Sawar uh, with the full details of the progress uh, that uh, is being made. And what I would say to Anna Sawar is, of course, under this government's stewardship of the NHS, we've seen record staffing in the NHS. We have the best paid staff anywhere in the UK. We haven't lost a single day's strike compared to Labour-run Wales, compared to Conservative-run uh, England. We are making a dent into, of course, those longest waits in terms of uh, those who have been impacted by the global pandemic. What doesn't help a recovery is, of course, those devastating cuts to the budget from the Conservatives. What would be really helpful is if Anna Sauer was able to confirm, of course, that UK Labour, if they do form the next, Labour, uh, the next UK government, would reverse those Tory cuts. In fact, what we've had from Labour, what we've had from Keir Starmer, what we've had from Rachel Reeves, is, uh, is, is, is an absolute confirmation that they will not reverse Tory spending cuts. So while we Briefly, face headwinds of austerity from the Conservative government, I'm afraid it doesn't look like the situation will change under a UK Labour government. As the session ended, I asked the leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats, Alex Cole-Hamilton, for his reaction. Well, it's clear that Michael Matheson had lost the confidence of the people of Scotland as he had done the health service that he was meant to be in charge of. But it's clear that the SNP's focus had drifted away from the health service long, long before Michael Matheson had ever gone on holiday. Um, under him, under Humza Yusuf before him, even under Nicola Sturgeon when she was health secretary, the NHS has known only crisis with some of the longest waits in its history for treatment, people struggling to get an appointment um, for the GP or a dentist on the day they need it. So this was a crisis a long time in the making. We don't just need a new health secretary, we need a change of government. This departure, would you say it was inevitable? Because it certainly seems to have come across as a a long, painful process that's brought us to where we expected to be. Well, I think so. And I think it's um, probably we'll look back on this in the moment that his fate was sealed was when it was clear that he'd actually uh, been untruthful to the national media when he told them uh, one thing and then it transpired later in his admission and in his apology to Parliament um, that it was something completely different. I think that undermines confidence in the media. When you lose that, you also, by extension, lose the confidence of the people. And it was clear he could not focus on the day job and those critical um, warning lights blinking across the dashboard of his ministry um, in terms of you know the massive crisis we have in mental health, the two years that children are waiting for mental health support, um, the ages that people are waiting for routine elective surgery, all of this, all of this on his watch, and clearly he didn't have the bandwidth to deal with it. On the front page of Holyrood uh, magazine, uh, the latest edition, it has a caricature of Hamza Yusuf, the First Minister, saying, Orgiza break. Two ministers gone this week, 
does it leave a question of judgment over the first minister? Well, I think that um, a lot of these uh, problems, um, the seeds for which were sown a long, long time ago. I mean, you know, I think the biggest scandal that the SNP have had to contend with in recent days was actually the Nicola Sturgeon testimony to the COVID inquiry and the reality that we're still reeling from that she, and, you know, despite promising the bereaved families of the pandemic and Channel 4 News and the uh, Scottish Parliament itself that she would retain in full all of her private messages around that, she never had any intention of so was deleting them routinely and now at the time of asking um, those families are thwarted in terms of their quest for answers. I mean, the, these are all problems that kind of predate Humza Yusuf's tenure in office. But no, it's clear that he's having a bit of a nightmare. Um, I think it's actually, you know, probably more than he's cut out for. Um, and it just underscores that the SNP aren't focused on the priorities and issues that matter to the people of Scotland. In November last year, the then Health Secretary Michael Matheson came to the chamber to explain and apologise. He admitted his son's watching football on his parliamentary iPad during a holiday in Morocco was the cause of an £11,000 data roaming charge. The responsibility for the iPad is mine. The responsibility for the data usage is mine. That is why my wife and I made the immediate decision to reimburse the Parliament the full cost. I contacted parliamentary authorities the next day. I contacted parliamentary authorities the next day to make clear arrangements to reimburse the full cost of the roaming charges and issue a personal statement to explain the decision. In my statement issued last Friday, I made no reference to the use of data by my family. As a parent, I wanted to protect my family from being part from being part of the political and media scrutiny associated with this, something I believe any parent would want to do. I am a father first and foremost. I can see now that it's just not possible to explain the data usage without explaining their role. Officer, the simple truth is they were watching football matches. On Tuesday, I told the First Minister that members of my family had made use of the iPad data and yesterday evening I provided him with a full account of the matter and of my intention to inform Parliament. Officer, disclosing this information about my family has been extremely difficult. Mistakes have been made by me and by my family. The First Minister has announced his choice to be the new Health Secretary. It's Neil Gray, who was an aide to the former Health Secretary, Alex Neil. Mr Gray is close to the First Minister. He was formerly Cabinet Secretary for the Wellbeing Economy, Fair Work and Energy. And earlier this week, Drugs and Alcohol Policy Minister Eleanor Whitman resigned from the government for health reasons. The SNP MSP for Carrick, Cumnock and Doon Valley says she's getting treatment for post-traumatic stress. She says the condition is greatly affecting her well-being. Politics change but never stop. It affects everything we do. I'm Charles Fletcher with The Week in Hollywood. Join me here for coverage of the Scottish, UK and European parliaments. It's a crucial election year where you once again have a choice. Who's in, who's out? The ups? The Downs. Join me, Charles Fletcher, 
Bringing Hollywood Home. You're listening to The Week in Hollywood with Charles Fletcher and still ahead in this half hour. Backfired humour causes consternation across Whitehall and beyond. Plus, backbench questions to the First Minister. First to London and the House of Commons. Here's SNP Westminster leader Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, the public are used to the Tories gambling on the lives of others. Boris Johnson, he did it with public health during the pandemic. His immediate successor, she did it with household finances. So not to be outdone, the Prime Minister on Monday this week accepted a crude bet regarding the lives of asylum seekers. In doing so, he demeaned them as individuals and he degraded the office that he currently holds. So can I ask him, will he apologise? Mr Speaker, we may have a principal disagreement on this. I believe and we believe that if someone comes to this country illegally, they shouldn't be able to stay, they should be removed, and that's why we're committed to our Rwanda scheme. Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, as ever, the Prime Minister does himself no favours because, of course, the bet to which we are referring was worth £1,000. And it came just hours before the Prime Minister ended cost-of-living support worth just £900. And his justification for doing so was that the cost-of-living crisis is easing. So can I ask him, what does he believe leaves him looking most out of touch with the public? Gambling a thousand pounds or believing that the cost of living crisis is getting better? Mr. Speaker, he talks about the cost of living. Perhaps he can explain to the Scottish people why it is that whilst the UK Conservative government is cutting their taxes, the Scottish government is raising them. At PMQ's, Labour leader Keir Starmer called the Prime Minister shameful after making a comment that was meant to be humorous but backfired across the chamber, Whitehall and all over the country. Mr Speaker, this week the unwavering bravery of Brianna Jay's mother, Esther, has touched us all. As a father, I can't even imagine the pain that she's going through, and I'm glad that she's with us in the gallery here today. Mr Speaker, a year ago, the Prime Minister promised to bring NHS waiting lists down. Isn't he glad he didn't bet a grand on it? Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, at least I stand by my commitments. He's so indecisive, the only bet he'd make is an each way bet. Oh, Mr. Speaker, he says he's. He stands by his commitments. He once insisted, insisted, that if he missed his promises, these are the words he used, I'm the Prime Minister, and then he said, it's on me personally. Today we learn from his own officials that he's the blocker to any deal to end the doctor's strikes. And he's always, every time he's asked, he blames everyone else. So what exactly did he mean when he said, it's on him personally, if he doesn't meet his promise? Minister. Mr Speaker, we are bringing the waiting list down for the longest waiters and making progress, but it's a bit rich, Mr Speaker, to hear about promises from someone who's broken every single promise he was elected on. I mean, 
I think I counted almost 30 in the last year. Pensions, planning, peerages, public sector pay, tuition fees, childcare, second referendums, defining a woman. Although, although in fairness, that was only 99% of a U-turn. The, the list goes on, but the theme is the same, Mr Speaker. It's empty words, broken promises and absolutely no plan. Of all, of all the work, of all the weeks to say that, when Brianna's mother is in this chamber, shame, parading as a man of integrity when he's got absolutely no responsibility. Absolute. Of all. Uh, either side. I, I think the members getting carried away. Can I just say? that our constituents want to hear the questions and they certainly want to hear the answers. They don't want to hear organised barracking. So, please, I want no more. Keir Starmer. I think the role of the Prime Minister is to ensure that every single citizen in this country feels safe and respected. It's a shame the Prime Minister doesn't share that. I welcome the fact that he's finally admitted that he's failed on waiting lists in the NHS. I also welcome that he's finally acknowledged the crisis in NHS dentistry. He's calling it a recovery plan after 14 years of Tory government. What exactly does he think the NHS dentistry is recovering from? As, as ever, Mr Speaker, he, he seems to convene... Certainly not having enough of the front bench either. Please, I want to hear it. The election fever... I'm hoping it's not coming tomorrow, so let's not behave as though it is. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, as ever, he conveniently forgets the impact of a pandemic on NHS dentistry, and it was specifically because of the close proximity nature of dental provision that it was unable to operate as normal throughout the pandemic. That was the recommendation of the medical and clinical experts, Mr Speaker, which is why inevitably there is a backlog in dental care and the impact that it has. But that's why, as the, as the my honourable friend, the Health Secretary, will outline later today for the House, we're putting more funding in to provide more NHS provision across the country, on top of plans that will see the number of dental training places increased by 40%, Mr Speaker. But I would actually just point out, our plans mean that there will be two and a half million more NHS appointments, which is in fact three times more than the Labour Party are proposing. Mr Speaker, there are some areas in the country where you literally can't have an NHS dentist, and he says that's down to Covid. People are literally pulling out their own teeth for... Sorry. Can I just say... I don't need any more off this front bench either. Do we understand each other? Carry on. People are literally pulling their teeth out using pliers. It's an experience that can be compared with extracting an answer from the Prime Minister at this dispatch box. The truth is, after 14 years of neglect, this recovery plan is just a desperate attempt to try to recover back to square one. If he wanted to move forward, he should follow Labour, scrap the non-DOM tax status, use the money to fund two million more hospital appointments every year. But, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is oddly reluctant to follow us on this. What exactly is so special about this tax avoidance scheme that the Prime Minister prioritises it above the NHS? 
Mr Speaker, let's look at that record. We've in the NHS record funding, record doctors and nurses, record number of appointments, higher cancer survival rates. But what's happening under Labour's watch in Wales, Mr Speaker? Let's have a look. A fifth, a fifth of people in Wales are currently on a waiting list. Waits of 18 months or more are ten times higher than that in England, and people are waiting twice as long for an operation. Their failure has sent the Welsh NHS back to square one, and will never let them do that here. Mr Speaker, when he admitted that he had failed on waiting lists, I actually thought that we might be entering a new era of integrity, professionalism and accountability. Remember that one? But just like all the other relaunches, it's proved to be a false dawn, still blaming everyone else, still removed from reality. It's very simple. You can either back more NHS appointments or more tax avoidance. We know what side we're on. Why doesn't he? Mr Speaker, the best way to ensure that we continue to fund the NHS, as we have, is not to make £28 billion of unfunded spending commitments. And just this morning, independent Treasury officials have published a formal costing of just one part of their eco-promise, their insulation scheme, and it turns out that it will cost double what they had previously claimed. Not the £6 billion that Labour accounted for, but £13 billion every single year. It's now crystal clear they have absolutely no plan, but we all know how they're going to fund that gap. More taxes on hard-working people. Mr Speaker, this is Mr 25 tax rises. He, he's literally the country's expert on putting taxes up, and he thinks he can lecture everyone else on the economy. Last week, he and his MPs were laughing at someone whose mortgage had gone up £1,000 a month. This week, he's casually made a £1,000 bet in the middle of an interview. Last week, he thought even raising questions about the cost of living was, and I quote, resorting to the politics of envy. And this week, he's finally found the cause that he wants to rally around, the non-dom status. When he finds himself backing tax avoidance over NHS appointments, does he start to understand why his own MPs are saying he simply does not get what Britain needs? Mr Speaker, I'm not going to take any lectures about getting, about, about getting Britain from a man who thought it was right to defend terrorists, Mr Speaker. But what we're doing is building a brighter future for our country. In just the last week, expanding health care in pharmacies. Today, expanding dental care. This week, helping millions with the cost of living. And most importantly, cutting national insurance. All while the Labour Party argue over 28 billion different ways to raise people's taxes. That's the difference between us. We're delivering a plan. They can't even agree on one. Now back to the chamber here at Holyrood as we begin backbench questions. In the chair is presiding officer Alison Johnston. Question number three, Craig Hoy. I thank you, presiding officer, to ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the Scottish Information Commissioner's intervention into its use and retention of informal communications in light of the UK COVID-19 inquiry. 
First Minister. The Government is committed to complying with all of its legal obligations in relation to FOI and records management legislation. We received the intervention, details of intervention, yesterday afternoon. Uh, we will, of course, fully cooperate <laughs> with the Commissioner's Office once we have considered its content fully. I have already instructed that there should be an externally led review looking at the use of mobile messaging apps and non-corporate technology. Uh, given that we have heard the former Prime Minister, uh, the current Prime Minister, the Secretary of State for Scotland were unable to provide <coughs> the UK COVID inquiry with any WhatsApps uh, due to them having been deleted, uh, the Deputy First Minister has written to the UK Government, the Welsh Government and the new Northern Irish Executive, Northern Ireland Executive, to invite them to participate in this externally led review. Craig Hoy. On the day the disgraced Health Secretary is forced to quit the shambolic and secretive Scottish Government, it is worth reminding Parliament that the SNP's Deputy Leader Keith Brown claimed last year that the SNP are, and I quote, the most transparent party in Scotland. Since then, Nicola Sturgeon has revealed that she deleted each and every one of her informal COVID-related messages, in line, she said, with Scottish Government policy. Yet Hamza Youssef claimed last October that he kept and retained his WhatsApp messages from that period. So to assist the Information Commissioner with his investigation, will the First Minister now confirm who breached his, government, his government's record management rules, Nicola Sturgeon or Hamza Youssef? Yep. First Minister. Just a, a poll that has just come out in the last uh, few days, of course, has shown that 51% of Scottish voters, they're laughing at this, they don't want to hear this, presiding officer, 51% of Scottish voters feel yep. the Scottish Government handled the pandemic better. Just 13% thought the UK Government had handled the pandemic better, presiding uh, officer. And I don't think, I really don't think, the party that was secretly handing over multi-million pound PPE contracts to their donors and to their friends should be lecturing anybody about transparency. A party whose leader took the inquiry to court and lost, presiding officer. A party that was breaking the rules, partying in number 10, while people were miss missing the funerals of their loved ones. Of all the parties to lecture anybody on public integrity, to, to lecture anybody on transparency. It certainly isn't to Tories, certainly isn't Craig Hoy, presiding office. Question number four, Jim Fairley. <clears throat> Thank you, President Officer. I'd like to ask the First Minister will he, provide, will he provide an update on what progress the Scottish Government has made towards implementing the recommendations of the COVID-19 Recovery Committee's report on long COVID? First Minister. Since the publication of the long COVID report, which we responded to in June last year, a number of recommendations have been implemented. This includes publishing a suite of educational resources, on NHS education for Scotland's learning platform to improve healthcare staff's knowledge and understanding of uh, the condition of long COVID. And NHS National Services Scotland commissioning the University of Leeds to support the initial evaluation of long COVID services in Scotland. Over this financial year, we've made available £3 million out of the £10 million long COVID support fund to support NHS boards to increase the capacity of services supporting those with the condition. Uh, to develop these into more clearly defined local pathways and provide a more coordinated experience for those who need to access support. Jim Fairley. Uh, thank the First Minister for that answer. Stigma, lack of single point of contact, evaluation of other approaches to treatment and signposting for affected patients were all recognised as vital for us making progress to help those sufferers. Can I ask the First Minister to reassure those people affected that these issues are being taken forward to allow them to either learn to live with it or be treated and allow them to go on with their lives? 
First Minister. Uh, yes, Jim Shirley makes important points about stigma, and I should say, uh, around establishing a single point of contact for long COVID patients in every single uh, health board. And I've mentioned the funding uh, that were provided. I'm also happy to write to Jim Fraley with details of the long COVID services available uh, in uh, our health boards uh, currently. And we've worked with people and we continue to engage with people who are living with long COVID to develop case study videos for NHS Inform, providing insight into people's personal experiences of living with the condition, but also help to help us to co-design the policy that's required uh, in relation to long uh, COVID. Um, the identification, assessment and management of people with long COVID is very much guided by UK-wide uh, clinical uh, guidelines developed by NICE uh, and also uh, the, S, the, the SIGN uh, guidelines as well as the Royal College uh, of uh, GPs. So these have been developed using a living approach. That means essentially that those guidelines will continue to develop uh, and evolve as we learn more and more uh, about uh, long COVID. So if I give Jim fairly uh, an assurance, not just about tackling uh, the stigma involved in seeking help, and nobody should uh, at all ever uh, feel that they cannot reach out uh, for help. If I can give them a further assurance uh, that any policy that we design in relation to long COVID uh, will be co-designed with those with lived experience. Sandish Gohani. The First Minister mentions publishing material. On the 31st of January 2024, the Scottish Government issued an update on long COVID guidance on the NHS Inform via official at Gov Health, ex-channel formerly Twitter. It was endorsed by Minister Jenny Minto. The video downplays the challenges encountered by individuals grappling with long COVID, fails to fully represent the diversity of symptoms and severity of long COVID, disregards treatment for symptom management. In a joint statement by UK long COVID charities, they urge the Scottish Government to withdraw the video and apologise. So First Minister, will you? And if Declaration of Interest isn't uh, practising NHS GP. First Minister. We will, of course, uh, listen to what uh, long COVID charities uh, have to say. And we take the issues of long COVID uh, very seriously uh, indeed and recognise the impact it has on the health uh, and the well-being of those that are affected, not just adults, but often uh, we know children as uh, well. We know that people can have a whole range of experiences. In terms of uh, the video that Dr Gohani uh, does mention, of course, uh, that was uh, with the input of health professionals, but also the input of people living uh, with uh, long COVID, but I can give Sandra Gohani an absolute uh, guarantee that we will continue to engage uh, with uh, those with lived experience, including the organisations he references, and uh, take on board uh, their uh, comments. Jackie Bailey. A report from Washington University finds that those who have had COVID-19 had a 72% increased risk of heart failure, a 63% increased risk of heart attack, a 52% increased risk of stroke, and that was regardless of age. Similar things are happening to other organs in symptoms that are characteristic of long COVID. So the problem's not gone away, long COVID persists, and the recommendations in the report largely were about the collection of data because there is little evidence collected by this government centrally. So can I ask the First Minister, what progress has been made to ensure that there is con consistent collection of long COVID data? First Minister. So, uh, of course, uh, Jackie Billy uh, is absolutely right that one of the recommendations of the report uh, was in relation to uh, data collection. The Scottish Health Survey provides annual monitoring of the population prevalence of long COVID. It includes questions about self-reported long COVID and also, more than that, more qualitatively than that, the impact on day-to-day -day, uh, activities. The Scottish Health Survey uh, for 2022 was published uh, on the 5th of December. Uh, 2023. Uh, uh, we should seek to see what more we can do to improve that data collection 
as per the committee uh, report. And again, happy to ensure that Jackie Bailey gets full details of what health boards are seeking to do uh, to improve their data collection around long COVID. Question number five, Monica Lennon. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the Who Cares Scotland research report, Is Scotland Keeping the Promise, which reportedly indicates that on the fourth anniversary of the publication of The Promise, key pledges made to care experienced people are not being fulfilled. First Minister. Uh, can I thank Who Cares Scotland for their continued important work that they do to support the care experienced community right across Scotland? And of course, we are uh, carefully considering the findings of the report. <coughs> we are determined to drive forward the transformational change that is required to keep the promise and make Scotland the very best place in the world, to grow up where all children are loved, uh, feel safe uh, and, of course, are respected. Yesterday I had the great, uh, enormous pleasure, in fact, of visiting the Hub for Success. It's hosted by Napier University, supported by Scottish Government Promise Partnership funding, and there I got to meet care experienced students who shared the really positive impact the service uh, had on them. So there is more work uh, to do, as the uh, report has undoubtedly highlighted, and we don't shy away uh, from that work. Um, but I think we should also share uh, and celebrate where change uh, is being felt. And one key area where there's been clear progress uh, is in the number of looked-after children. Latest statistics show that there was almost 2,000 fewer looked-after children in July 2022 uh, than there was when the promise started in July 2020. That doesn't take away from the work that still has to be done, uh, but I'm uh, pleased by some of the progress uh, that we are seeing in this regard. Monica Lennon. I thank the First Minister for his response and agree that Who Care Scotland deserves credit for this report, which does highlight some areas of progress, but also some major areas of concern.
online at k107.co.uk and on air at 107FM. This is K107 News. The Labour Party says the economic future of the UK is still too uncertain to allow it to stick to plans of investing £28 billion a year in green schemes. The party is dropping in the spending commitment but will keep some parts of the policy. Greenpeace is calling it weak political, economic and climate leadership. The Prime Minister thinks it shows Sir Keir Starmer can't stick to a decision. I think it demonstrates exactly what I've been saying, that he U-turns on major things, he can't say what he would do differently because he doesn't have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, then you can't deliver change for our country. Scotland's health secretary has resigned after racking up a bill of almost £11,000 on his parliamentary iPad. In November, Michael Matheson admitted his children had used it while on holiday. A hearing's begun at the US Supreme Court over whether Donald Trump should be barred from running as president in Colorado. The state argues he violated the Constitution by encouraging a riot in Washington, D.C. in January 2021. Dozens of schools have been closed in northern England and North Wales due to snow. The Met Office says up to 25 centimetres could fall in some places today. Scotland fans will be allowed to take bagpipes into matches at Euro 2024 this summer. Cat Suave reports. Vuvu Zaylas were the iconic soundtrack to the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. But at this summer's Euros, could it be this? UEFA's given the Tartan Army permission to play bagpipes inside grounds after relaxing its rules on instruments. Anyone wishing to take theirs to matches will have to get permission from the Scottish FA beforehand. Scotland's tournament starts against host Germany on the 14th of June. And a zoo in Germany is mourning the death of what's believed to be its oldest resident, who's died at the age of 75. Ingo the Flamingo had lived there since the mid-1950s. That's the latest. I'm Simon English. This is K107FM. Call us on 645 307.